Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you here today. And uh, before I do anything else, I want to look into the camera and say a big hello to all of those that are watching online. We had a huge number of people uh, in the first service, all of you that are out of town or you're sick. I know there's some stuff going around. We are so glad if you're visiting. This is the new front door. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Come on, Heartland family, help me welcome them to church. And uh, all of you, come on, welcome to a brand new year. Are you excited about what God's going to do in your life and in your heart this year? It's going to be amazing. A couple quick things before we jump in today. This Wednesday night is first Wednesday. Uh, and remember, we did not do it last Wednesday because of the holidays. So uh, I'm really pumped up about it. Uh, first Wednesday is extended worship. We do it once a month and have communion, and Pastor Dan is up this uh, Wednesday night, going to be speaking. It's going to be great. Can't wait for it. Hope that you come and join us, 7 p.m., and then 21 days of prayer and fasting begins this coming Sunday, one week from today. We'll have the prayer guides for you. I'll talk to you, give you some instruction about the day and what it will look like and how we want you to jump in to prayer over these 21 days, and, and we'll have some prayer services uh, that'll kind of go alongside with it. And uh, those will be on Wednesday nights at 7. So the 17th, 24th, and 31st, would love for you to jump in. That's different than what we used to do on Saturday mornings. We're doing them on Wednesday nights now. would love for you to come be a part of those. It's going to be great. I'm just, I am all the way fired up. You guys ready to jump in today? I have never been more excited about the future of our church than I am right now. And uh, I, I, I'm like, I, it's, I feel like I've had like four Red Bulls. Uh, that's... <laughs> And I, I don't even drink Red Bull. Uh, that's just the Holy Spirit, I guess. Um, all right, let's jump in today. Um, I'll just say this from the outset. These messages today and next week are massively important. I mean, so important for the direction of our church. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to share with you some vision about what I feel like God has been speaking to Kendra and I about regarding the direction of our church this year. In fact, these two messages are going to launch us into a, a, a series that I'll start in two weeks that will last all the way until November. Um, you can imagine that. A 10-month-long series. Never done anything. I must be crazy. Uh, I've never done anything like this before, uh, but that's how strong I feel about where we're headed and what I feel like God has spoken to me. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them today. Go to the book of Acts chapter 1. It is a new year, and uh, maybe there are some of you that are brand new to our church. Uh, I just want to say thanks for hanging out with us. We do have the Heartland Church app. You can download it, and of course, we've got the paper message notes. I'm kind of a fill-in-the-blank or let you follow along kind of person. I have ADD, so I need that from time to time. Uh, and But you can download all these message notes uh, on our app if you'd like to use them there, and then you can actually email yourself a PDF copy of them. Uh, if you want to keep them. And we give away these, these binders. I don't have one here in front of me, but they're, they're binders for those pieces of paper. You'll notice they're hole-punched, and that's for the binders. Yeah, there's one represent. Throw it up in the air like you just do care. Yeah, a couple of you got them. So uh, if you want to get one of these, they're out in the lobby today. And uh, our, our lobby team always gets inundated at the beginning of the year because I always talk about them. Uh, but we'd love for you to have one. Bring it with you. It just keeps all your message notes. You never know when you'll want to refer uh, back to them. Acts 1. The book of Acts is one of the most unique books of the Bible. Of course, the book of Acts details how the church began, how it started to spread, details what the church was like. 
But it's much more than a historical account. It teaches us so much. It teaches us about the pattern for how to build God's great church. It shows us what God's great church should look like. It teaches us uh, the pattern, the plan to reach our neighborhoods, to reach our cities, our, our communities, our states, ultimately our world. And as I read it, there's one thing that stands out in the book of Acts more than anything else. And, it, and it's how important it appears that the power of the Holy Spirit was to that very first church. In fact, all throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is on every page. He's involved in every person's life. 42 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned directly. Another 15 times the Holy Spirit is referenced, like the Holy Spirit was speaking or speaking about him. That means 57 times in the book the Holy Spirit is referenced. And as you start to read, it's impossible not to start to see these phrases like the Spirit filled or the Spirit came upon or the Spirit said... And over and over again, we see the Spirit being mentioned. And in every case, the Spirit is, is reaching people and, and doing what He can and wants to do to, to build God's great church. It's not an, an accident that over and over again, as the church is being established, as the church is expanding, as the church is growing, the, the primary character in all of it is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in order for the church to grow, in order for the church to expand, in order for the church to fulfill uh, its purpose, it needed a power, everybody. And it's a power that could only come from the Holy Spirit. And what we begin to see is that the Holy Spirit begins to baptize, and the Holy Spirit begins to empower, and the Holy Spirit begins to direct. Absolutely everything that happens in that very first church is happening because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen to that. Now, there's a verse in Acts 1 that I want you to see. And in my opinion, it's one of the most important verses in the entire book of Acts. It's right there at the beginning. I think it sets the tone for the whole book. I think it creates the crescendo that will begin to echo throughout all the rest of the pages of the book. And it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is what it says. It says, you will receive, and I want everybody to say this word real loud with me today. You will receive you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Acts tells us right off the bat is this. There's a power that's available to every single Christian, every single believer following salvation. And this power will absolutely and totally transform you. It'll empower you to live a life capable for you to be able to fulfill God's plan. The verse says this, that when you receive this power, you'll then be able to be my witnesses in three different areas. You'll be able to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's so interesting because if you read the book of Acts, it's crazy how that begins to line up in the book. Like, like look at this. In, in Acts 1 through 8, it's all about how the church grew in Jerusalem and Judea. In Acts 8 through 12, it's all about how the church grew in Samaria. And in Acts 13, 28, it's how the church began to grow to the ends of the earth. God wants you to know from the very beginning as he's establishing his church that the church needs power and you will receive power. And what I would submit to you today, and I say this 
deloquently and, and with great love for our churches in America today. But what our American churches are in desperate need of today is power. We need power. We need power in our people. We need power in our services. We need power in our serving. We need power in our witness. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an author, his name is E.M. Bounds. He's this, uh, I fell in love with him in, in uh, grad school, but he's an incredible 19th century author who wrote 11 books, nine on prayer. If you're a person that loves prayer, loves to pray, like you've got to read Ian e. Bounds' stuff. He's phenomenal. But in one of his books, he says this, and this quote has never left me. He says, what the church needs today is not better or more machinery or better. It doesn't need new organizations or more in novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Mighty men in prayer. The Holy Ghost doesn't flow through methods, but through men. He doesn't come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. And we're often praying for better methods and articulation and help me with this, but, but God's looking for better men. What, what Ian Bounds was articulating is that there was a great temptation for the church in the 19th century. That they thought that, well, maybe, maybe a new method would unlock our ability to reach more people with the gospel. That, that maybe better presentations would cause more people to come to Christ. But hear me say this today, that what God was after then and what God is after now is men and women who will simply say, God, I want my life to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And the same temptation that existed back then is the same temptation that'll exist now. I mean, listen to me. Our churches today, it, the presentations are better than they've ever been before, right? The, the best presentations that have ever existed in the history of the church. I mean, it's incredible. Around Christmas, like, and I'm not even knocking this, I'm celebrating it. Like, there were churches that are having these Christmas Eve services, literally rivaled a Broadway musical. Like, the lights, the singing, the dancing, the stages, the backdrops. It is impressive, it is inspiring, but it leaves me asking this question, is it changing us? Because the truth is that those very first churches, they weren't about presentations. They were about power. And the Holy Spirit empowered people. And as a result, people reached other people and built God's great church. And it wasn't about those people. It wasn't about anything else except the power of the Holy Spirit working and flowing through people. And the truth is this, that you may feel like sharing your faith is hard. Man, Dusty, it's kind of intimidating to share my faith. But sharing it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's not hard. It's impossible. Right. Yet there are many Christians that are attempting to do just that. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, what you'll discover is that you're able to do things, you're able to go places, you're able to say things that you could never have said in your own power. That's because it was never meant to be about you anyway. It was meant to be about the power of the Holy Spirit flowing and working through your life. Listen to me tell you this today. What he can do is exponentially greater than what 
you and I can do. It is His power in our weakness. His power in our lives. And as I've prayed about our church in this current climate, in this current season, in this current time in the world, listen to me, I don't want us just to be a Holy Spirit-directed church. I want us to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church. I don't want the focus to be on what we can do. If the focus is on us and what we try to build in our own strength, we will fail. We can do lots of programs and lots of activities and lots of events, and we can be very busy, but what good is being busy if it lacks power, everybody. I want the power of the Holy Spirit on display in our church and in our people. That's a good place for you to say amen and clap your hands today all over the room. Now, I want to take a slight detour, and I'm going to come back to this thought. Stay with me. But what I want to do for a little while then is I want to teach you. Like, I want to dive in, and I want to do some some old school Bible teaching, if that's okay for a little while. Anybody like to be taught God's word? When I was growing up, I came to believe that if you wanted to learn about Jesus' ministry, then the only real place that you could learn about Jesus' ministry was in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's where you learned about Jesus' ministry. And, and then Jesus' ministry ends. That's kind of where, where it ends. But I want, I want you to hear me say this to you today, that the ministry of Jesus didn't end when Jesus went to the cross. The ministry of Jesus didn't end. The ministry of Jesus was transferred. Now, this is really important. Let me, let me explain this to you in a different way. One of my favorite things, this is one of the years that we're going to have the Olympics, right? So one of my favorite things about the Olympics is the Olympic torch. Uh, I'm really fascinated by it. I actually did some studying on the Olympic torch coming into this service. I love how they light the torch and then it goes through all these different cities, right? Well, before the actual uh, opening ceremonies, I don't know if you know this, but the torch is like relayed and it's passed around to a variety of people. For instance, in the Beijing Olympics, the torch was relayed to over 1,200 people over a three-day span. It went through two parts of Beijing. It went through the Olympic Forest Park. It went through uh, the Green Zone. It went through the Shogang Park. And, and it, was, it kept being transferred person to person to person until it was eventually brought into the stadium. Everybody's now watching, right? As somebody, that, that final person comes and brings it and then lights and it goes all the way up to, to the big torch, right? Placed on its mount. Well, Jesus' ministry is a lot like that Olympic flame. It starts with Jesus, but then it was passed to the disciples and passed around and ultimately until it crescendos and it's passed to his great church. And what I would submit to you is that while Jesus is, while he might be done with his teaching ministry, his power ministry is still going on, everybody. His power ministry what, what didn't end. His power ministry was transferred. He's still healing people. He's still touching people. He's still moving in people's lives. He's just transferred it to the Holy Spirit who is now constantly working through the body, the church. And I think the Apostle Paul understood this. Why? Because in his writings, he says something that is so powerful. In Romans 15, this is what he says. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles, that there's the Jews and then everybody else, through leading the Gentiles to obey God by, and these are the two means, by what I've said and what I've 
By what I've and by what I've Paul made sure to differentiate. So there, let's make sure we understand this. There are some things that Christ is going to say through you. Paul says, there are some things that he said through me. But then there are some things that he's done through me. And friends, I want to make sure that you don't miss this. That we've become, in our culture today, we've become really good at the said part. We love to talk, don't we? We got more podcasts than we could ever know what to do with in 2024. We're persuasive. We're inspirational. We know how to write it all out. We know how to say it just right. But God help us. And I'm thankful for this, by the way, that the kingdom of God is more than just saying. The kingdom of God is more than just talking. It's about something that's much bigger and much greater. He said, what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. Well, what kind of things has he done? What he said and done, next part, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't miss it. I've said some things, but then I've done some things through the power of God that's produced signs, that's produced wonders. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Eclerium, I have fully proclaimed. I love this word. Everybody say this real loud with me. Fully proclaimed. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul says that the gospel is fully proclaimed first by what we say, but second, when the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated through our lives. That there is a demonstration, there are powers, there are signs, there are wonders. The kingdom of God is not just about what we say. We say it, but then God does it. And I'm here to tell you today that we need that power. But that power is so far away from many of our churches today that we don't even know what it looks like. What would you mean power? What would you mean signs? What would you mean wonders? But hear me though, if that very first church was a supernatural church. And if we want the body of Christ to grow today, the kingdom of God to expand today, then it must be a powerful church. Amen, everybody? And so we, we have to be so careful, in my opinion, that we don't reduce the gospel and reduce church to just simply what people say. We must invite the Holy Spirit to work through us in our communities, in our city, on our, in our workplaces, in our schools, that he must work through us, that there are wonders, there are signs, there are things that he does through us. At one point, Paul tells the Corinthian church something that's so important for us today in our culture and our time. 1 Corinthians 2 says, my message and my preaching, they weren't done with wise and persuasive words. They were done with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, this is so important, that people's faith doesn't rest on Dusty's wisdom. It doesn't rest on somebody who seems like they speak really good from a stage, that they know a lot about the word of God. No, no, forget all of that. Forget me. It's not the point. The point is God's power. Allow me just to talk for a second. I think, I think too many of us are living out our faith based on I think. I'm going to tell you something, that's really dangerous. In fact, the deconstruction movement has been built on, I think. 
because it's my truth and it's my reality. This is what I, this is what I think. But how many people know you can think a thousand things and all those things be wrong? <laughs> Biblically speaking, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been backed up not by one thing, but by two things. Word and deed. The message of the gospel is backed up by word, the word being sent out, but second, by the power of the Spirit of God. Why? Why do we need the power? Because the power validates the truth of the gospel of what I say. You know this to be true in your daily life. Ladies, come on, if you're married in the room and your husband tells you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but there's no demonstration. Come on, I need you to show me. And the power isn't in the words. The power's in the doing. It's in the deeds. And the deeds validate the truth of what you're saying. And Paul was teaching. Peter was teaching. But the Holy Spirit was the one that was changing. And Jesus' power ministry was on display for everybody to see. Jesus is the one that's building his great church. Jesus is the one that's doing the teaching. Jesus is the one that's still doing the miracles. And the gospel becomes fully proclaimed whenever we say what Jesus said, but when we also do what Jesus did. That's a really good moment for you to clap your hands and say amen, because this is some good stuff this morning. You say, you don't say, I amen myself. I don't care. I will amen myself. Let me take a second and teach you something else. This is so important, in my opinion, for your Christian walk. I think this is going to change for some of you the entire way that you have viewed Christianity. A lot of people think that because Jesus was the Son of God, that he could just do whatever he wanted to do. In other words, when he healed, when he prophesied, when Jesus performed miracles, when he taught and everybody was in awe, that the reason that it was so powerful is because he was Jesus. And while that's a good theory, that's actually not true. And the reason is because of how Jesus decided to enter our world and to operate on earth. Now, was he co-equal and co-eternal with the Father? Of course. But when he came to the earth, the Bible tells us that he actually set aside all of the power and the privilege that he possessed as God. Let me show this to you in Philippians 2. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in what? Everybody say it real loud. In what? In human likeness. That's really important. So he sets aside his God-likeness to pick up human-likeness. And I know this is hard to get because how can he still be 100% God and be 100% man and yet set aside his, because he's God and he can do that. So here's what you have to understand. Jesus didn't have all the power to just do all the things that he did anytime that he wanted to do it. Some of you are like, are, are you sure about that? Well, John 5 says, very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. That's really important. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. So please understand, Jesus had all the advantages of being God, 
but he chose not to use any of those advantages. The only, no, only like explanation I even know how to relate it to is like a superhero illustration, which I don't like because I don't really like superheroes. But, but if you can imagine, you know, Superman just dressed like a normal person, walking around like a normal person, walks into the booth, puts on, you know, the cape, like all of a sudden he's Superman. But Jesus could have done all of those things, I suppose, but when he came to the earth, he chose to live in his human likeness. To which the question is this, well, if that's true, then how did he do all the things that he did? Miracles and signs and wonders and teachings and wisdom and sinless life. And it's actually mind-blowing if you consider it for just a second. Everything that he did was done only through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that revelation so important for you today? It's so important in this year, 2024, of our good Lord for this reason. Because if Jesus did everything that he did as God, it's amazing. But we could never expect to do that. Because only God could do that. And we're not God. But if he does it as man, and if he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, then all the things that he did, we can actually do too in our lives. For some people, this revelation is so important because you got to realize, that's why he got up and prayed so much. He didn't, well, if he's God, he doesn't really probably need to do that. He can go out and just do everything. No, 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 no. You got to understand, Jesus was entirely reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life. That's why he had to seek the Father so much. Because he had to hear from God. He had to have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the Father's will. In fact, let me, let me show, I'm going to show you something here in just a moment. What you'll see in the Bible is that there are zero miracles prior to the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Zero. I've got to show you this. You have to see this. I'll, I'm just telling you, this is bubbling up within me right now. I'm, I'm so stoked right now. I want to show you where Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit to do this. And we could go to any of the four Gospels in order to see when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 3. Now let me set this up for you, okay? Remember that John the Baptist is going to be on the scene here in just a second. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He'd gone out into the wilderness, and he's preaching. And he's calling people to what? To repentance. He's preparing people for the Messiah. People are saying, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one that prepares the way for the Messiah. And on one particular occasion, Jesus now comes to John, and Jesus is going to ask John to be the one to baptize him. Now, I want you to see this. It says this in Matthew chapter 3. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. This is John telling everybody, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, we skip ahead here a few verses, and now Jesus has shown up. And John says to Jesus, when Jesus says, I need to be baptized, John says, I need to be baptized by you. 
you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John considered. Now let me explain. John's not talking about uh, Jesus' baptism in water. Remember, he said the Messiah is coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And John knew that. And so John was saying, I, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want the baptism that you've come to bring. John wanted the baptism of fire that he'd prophesied about. Why? Because he knew that he needed it in his life. John's saying, I need your baptism. Most people would say, look, I've got all the crowds. I'm doing really good. You know, I'm baptizing people into repentance. But John's like, this is not, I need your baptism. But Jesus insists, John, baptize me. Poses the question, why would the one who is sinless need or want to undergo a baptism of repentance when he had no sin to repent of? Why? Well, there's all sorts of things that people point to. Number one, and he kind of says it here, he says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So he was leaving an example for us. He was, he was showing us what he wanted us to do. Some have said that it's like he was standing in our shoes as an intercessor of humanity, pleading our case as if he were each one of us. But really the point is not even the baptism in the moment. The point is what happens immediately following this. So he's baptized by John. And in, in that moment, there's that normal baptism. But what happens after the baptism is not at all like a normal baptism. The Bible says that after he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up. And from that moment on, Jesus would begin to operate under an open heaven. Watch what happens here. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. Notice this. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, falling on him. The Holy Spirit falls on Jesus in that moment. And the Spirit of God, as it descends on Jesus, from that moment on, Jesus' ministry will never be the same. It's different. It's radically changed. And watch what happens. So he gets up out of the water. Right? Baptism. Everybody's celebrating. You know, this was amazing. And watch what happens. Three different moments. And I'm just going to show the same thing three different times in Scripture. Then Jesus immediately, led by the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Same thing. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Notice the emphasis here. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, Notice the language is changing. The Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit has led him into the wilderness. We're not talking about a salvation thing. This is the Spirit coming upon him. It's like the Holy Spirit hopped into his car with him and is driving him, pushing him, leading him into his destination. He goes into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. He's there for 40 days. It's impossible to tempt him. Why? Because it's like Popeye with his spinach. It's Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Then he comes out, the Bible says. Jesus then, after he's in the wilderness, returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Before the Spirit, he's just Jesus. Now the Spirit's come upon him, and it's not that he didn't have wisdom. I mean, Luke 2.52 tells us he was growing in wisdom and in stature and favor with God, favor with man. 
But all of a sudden, the ministry is about to begin, baby. And news is now spreading about this Jesus who's in the wilderness and there's something different. And what does he do? He goes to his hometown, the place that everybody knew him as a carpenter. He's grown up there. He's just Jesus. But he goes back into his town. What's the very first thing that he does? He walks into the synagogue. As he gets into the synagogue, they invite him to read from the scrolls. They would never have allowed just a regular person to do this. Nobody just got up to do that if they wanted to do it. It was only someone who was well-known or someone who'd left home and returned back home. They'd get the privilege. And Jesus has handed the scrolls. And where does Jesus turn? He turns to a verse in Isaiah 61. You'd say, why is that important? Because Isaiah 61.1 is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah who is going to come. It's a prophetic Old Testament scripture. And Jesus opens the scroll and look what the verse says. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He comes out of the wilderness with the power of the Spirit. He goes into his hometown and he announces and he says, today the mission is about to be fulfilled through me. And as he begins to teach... And as he begins to minister, and as he begins to pray, you start getting a sense all of a sudden about this reliance that he has of the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, at one moment he's teaching, and all the Pharisees have come because now Jesus has a target on his back. They've come to hear him, and there's no room. And it, there's, so, there's so many people there that four friends lower their paralyzed friend through the roof. And Luke 5 tells us this, and the, come on everybody say it real loud, and the, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know what that verse implies? Is that there were times that the power of the Lord wasn't present to heal. There, was, there were times where Jesus could walk into a room and he could heal everyone. And there are times, and you can look it up in scripture, there are times when Jesus went into a place, went into a city, walked into a spot, and he couldn't do any miracles. Well, wait a second. He's God. If he's God, he can do it anytime he wants to. But no, he's 100% man. And he's yielding himself to the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. How about Acts 10? You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he was anointed with power. And I'm here to tell every single person that's sitting in this room and those of you that are watching online today that that same power is available to you today. Say, how do I know that? John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me 
will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do, come on everybody, say it real loud, even. Come on, say it real loud, even. He'll do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Why would that matter? Why would it be so important for him to go to the Father? What's the point of that? John 16, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good. Jesus says that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The reason is because Jesus goes to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes. And now the Holy Spirit isn't just empowering Jesus. It's empowering all of us to do what Jesus did. Come on and clap your hands and thank God for a power that is available to you today. That's good Bible teaching right there. Can I just say this to you from the bottom of my heart? This is what I want for us. I want us to be so full of the spirit that God uses us in 2024. And that's why in Acts 1, 4, he, he orders them, like, don't leave. Look at what he says to them. All the, all the apostles are there, right? All these early church people that are going to go out and build the church. And while staying with them, he ordered them, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, that's under repentance, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. How important is this in filling? It's so important. Jesus, knowing the world needed to be evangelized, knowing that they were the methodology, the machinery from which he was going to use to build his great church, Jesus says, wait, because the Holy Spirit's going to move upon men. And and you need to wait because you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. You've been saved. You know about my resurrection. I've been standing here with you in the flesh. I've taught you. But you so desperately need this in your life. Now here's the problem. For so many Christians, we're either on one of two sides of the spectrum. We're either entirely too confident in our own abilities to be able to do what we feel like God has called us to do, or we're very underconfident. We lack confidence. We're scared, we're afraid, we don't feel like we have enough talent, we feel like we don't have enough gifting, we don't feel like we grew up in a certain environment, and and we often disqualify ourselves. What I want you to understand is that if it was left up to you on your best day, you'd never be able to do it. Even with every gift and power that you had in yourself, all the training, all the mentorship, everything you needed, But on your best day, it's not enough. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you invite the Holy Spirit to come and sit upon your life, listen to me, your best and most powerful days of ministry are ahead of you. As I close, I want to read this quote to you by John Piper on the subject of the Holy Spirit. John Piper said this, said, we're trying to answer the question, what is at the heart of the essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit? I have said that I do not think the essence is new birth or conversion or being united to the body of Christ. So what is it then? 
And why do I not think it's the same as what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? I think the essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who is already a believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministry. Can I just say this to you today? He's right. That's exactly what it's saying. And here's what I want you to know, that the Christian life was never designed to be a spectator sport. The church is not, it's not an earthly waiting room for heaven. You're not just sitting around here saying, well, make sure to build up my retirement, go on some vacations, live the American dream, have some children, one day retire, and then just sail off into the sunset. You're not here just waiting until Jesus comes back. God gives you a power for a purpose. You were created in Christ to do good works, which he ordained for you in advance before he wrote any of your days into being. The scope and the scale of what God has called you to is amazing, but it is beyond your ability. It's beyond my ability. We were born again to share the good news, but we have to be empowered. There is a power that God wants for your life. And over this year, that's the journey that I want to take you on. My hope and my prayer is that by the end of this year, that this will be the year of power in your life. It was around July, late July, early August, kind of a week span where Kendra and I were together. And I began to just share with her that I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. We were getting ready for Seek Week, and so I'd been in a time of prayer and kind of just, just really kind of going in with, with the Holy Spirit. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me on one particular day in late July. And I heard these words in my prayer time. Teach them about my power. And I remember in that moment, I, I thought to myself, I, I said, like, God, I do, I do not know how to teach them about your power. How do I do that? And he said, I want you to take them to my book that shows them all about where I introduced the power, the book of Acts. And so I don't really know how to say this to you, but that's what we're going to do this year. <laughs> All year long, for the entirety of 2024, I've never done anything like this before. But I'm going to very slowly and very methodically take you through the book of Acts. In fact, I've already looked at this. There are probably over 50 messages that I could do. Now, are there going to be some Sundays where we do something different? Of course, I have ADD. Um, and we're going to have some guest speakers, and you know, there are some holiday weekends and things like that. Like, like there are going to be some weekends that we don't do this. But for the most part, when I'm up here, I'm going to be preaching the book of Acts. And when this year ends, my prayer for you right now at the beginning of this year is that you will not just know about the power but I'm believing that you will step into a greater power so that we can be God's church in a greater way than we have ever been before. You'd say, Dusty, it's great to have power, but power to do what? Well, next week, that's what next week's about. Because next week, I'm gonna detail for you five key areas where I feel like I want our church to grow in power. 
this year. Five areas that I just feel like the Holy Spirit has really been speaking to me about. Growth in my life, growth in your life. I've, I've already been sharing these with our, I mean, I felt this so strong in July. I was, I was doing a, a series, supposed to launch it in September. And I remember I told Kendra, I don't, am I supposed to just, like I asked the Lord, am I just supposed to like just start now with this? And I felt the Lord say, no, wait for the new year. Finish what you're supposed to do now. So I, I did, but the whole rest of 2023, like it was like bubbling up in me. And I was like, I've got all this. And I don't know if you remember, I did this message called When the Church Prays. It was directly out of the book of Acts, the whole message. It was all this that was starting to bubble up within me. And so I've been sharing this with our elders and with our lead team and directors. And, and I'm going to share with you more next week. But this is what I want for you, for you to be filled with that power. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that you'll be witnesses. Did you know the word in the Greek? It's, it's powerful. It's a little scary. The word in the Greek for witnesses, where we get our word martyrs from. You'll be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you'll know my word and you'll operate in my power and you won't be scared or intimidated. In 2024, when the culture is raging and things are crazy and it feels like the world is turning, there needs to be a prophetic voice that will rise up in the middle of it all that will say, this is what God is saying. That's his people, it's you, and this is the time right now, everybody. It's the time. We talk about seeing people saved. We talk about revival. But where it's going to start is when God's church is emboldened with his power. That we're so full of God that we don't want anything else. That we're so emboldened with God that we're not afraid to stand for Christ anywhere we go. And I'm challenging you today, regardless of your background, regardless, God's got a supernatural relationship for you. You've been created for a purpose and with a purpose. And God wants to use you. God wants to empower you, to give you a supernatural boldness wherever you go that will take you beyond yourself. And it's available to every single person. A power, the year of power. Power for today, power for every moment, power that's available. Come on, all over the room today, stand, and let's just begin to sing this song to Jesus today. Lift your hands all over the room and say, God, I want your power this year in a fresh way. Come on, let's sing it out. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing it out today. Oh!
on, come on, come on. That's good. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fired up for this year. I think it's going to be amazing. Hey, thank you so much for coming on this Sunday. It's going to be, man, come every Sunday. Come on, let's do it. I think it's going to be great. Hey, just a couple of things before we dismiss you today. The team is throwing some ways of how you can give. Just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and, and your giving. And, you know, we're, we're a church that we're, we're not saying, you know, hey, we need your money. But we just, we just say ask God when it comes to that. And he'll take care of that. And we're not trying to pester or bother you for it. But we just want to say thank you. It's the most generous church that I think I have ever seen in my life. We've been able to do some amazing things with that, and so we just continue. Yesterday, we had a first Saturday and gave to our community and did amazing things. And so that's because of you and, and, and how you give. So, hey, the team is going to kind of worship us in and just continue in this. Again, thank you so much for coming this Sunday. We hope that you have a great day, and we'll see you next week. So, Father, we just love you. We praise you for this word, and, Lord, we're excited for what is to come. Be with us. Let us have a great week. And to keep us safe, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.